You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? We are back in your life on a Wednesday night. It is Shout, a Buffalo Bills football bo- podcast. He is Ryan Talbot. I am Matt Perino. We have some very exciting news. We are back in person at Wingnuts uh, in, inside Froth Brewery this Saturday night. Uh, we're going to be out there at about 530, so come a little bit early. The show starts at 7. It's going to be our huge free agency preview edition of Shout, and we're doing it live at Wayne Nuts. We're bringing on a special guest, CBS Sports's Chris Chapasso. I got with him in, at the Combine, talked a little draft. We're going to bring him in uh, to the show, have him check out the amazing wings, the amazing beer uh, at Wing Nuts this and Froth this Saturday night. Ryan, I'm super excited about it. Yeah, I'm always excited we can get together, do a live show, and you can't ask for a better atmosphere than Wing Nuts. Like you said, great food, uh, great beers. I'm looking forward to it, Matt. We're not going to get too much into free agency just yet. We're going to save all of those talking points, and there's going to be a lot. Ryan's going to have a story up on the site, uh, I believe, Friday or Saturday. Uh, He's going to do some thumbs up, thumbs down on the recently released players that are now free agents. I am going to have my five moves I like for the Bills, five that I don't tomorrow morning. So you're going to want to check that out. We're going to talk about it all. We're break it all down with Chris Chapasso. Uh, on Saturday night. If you have something you want us to talk about that we don't have planned for the show, leave it in the comments. We'll get to it here as we get going. All right. I want to start at the wide receiver position because it's a, it's a multifaceted conversation, Ryan, because we were talking, you know, being in Indianapolis for the combine, you know, taking a look at some of these receivers and starting to really put it together in your head, how Brandon Bean should build this room you know, this off season through free agency, through the draft with what they already have on the roster. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting conversation because if you go back and look at last year's stats, look at the receiving room, Stefan Diggs, 154 targets, Gabriel Davis, 93 targets, Isaiah McKenzie sneaks up on you a little bit, 65 targets. I can't imagine, even though he's under contract coming back next season, that that role is waiting for him in 2023. And so then you start to think about, all right, what's the best way to add to the room? Is it drafting a rookie? Is it signing somebody in free agency? Is it, who do you sign in free agency? If that's the route that you go, because there's, there's levels to this game. We'll get to a couple of those levels. And that may be the, the one part of free agency that we touch in this show. But I just, from a philosophy standpoint, Ryan, let's start off with this. You're eyeing this position group. Where do you, where do you look at it and say, Brandon Bean has to do this when addressing this room this offseason? Yeah, that's a great question, Matt, because I I look at both scenarios. I I look at free agency and I feel like the surefire contributors 
uh, in free agency. I think that's a very slim list, and I think there's going to be teams throwing a lot of money at those few players, which pretty much puts the Bills out of position on those guys. Who are those players? Who are those players? I, I, well, I, I, Chark? I honestly think Chark's up there. I, I honestly think Odell Beckham Jr. is up there just because of how weak this class is. Right. I think so I was looking at his market money. value. I yeah. was looking at his market value, and I'm so glad you bring him up because 13 and a half million spot track has his market value in. I'm out at that number. Oh, I don't out. know about you. 100% out. The, the, the injuries, uh, you you know, coming off of an AC or coming off of, of lower body injuries like this, and, and it's not just a one-time deal. That's a scary situation to offer that kind of money to him. Because if you're offering 13 million, even if you got him at 10 million, uh, you want him to be out there every game. You want him being a, a big time contributor, and that's not guaranteed. And obviously, it's not guaranteed with anyone that you you sign. Uh, injuries happen in the NFL, but that's too too rich for me. So then you start looking at those tier two, tier three guys. We've talked a lot about a guy like Paris Campbell, uh, the breakaway speed, that option there. But he's coming off of one of his best years in in the NFL with the Colts, but no guarantee that he pans out. So then you turn your attention to the draft, Matt. And I I like this draft class. Uh, I think that some guys that maybe we thought were in play for Buffalo, though, may be out of reach after some impressive combine. So it gets tough because then at, at pick 27, uh, you're sitting there. You might have to go with the top guy on your board there because round two, round three, uh, it's not as proven at that point. It's not one of the deeper draft classes in recent memory at wide receiver. So it, it gets tough fast. I was determined earlier in the offseason, the Bills have to take a swing in free agency at the wide receiver position, right? Like DJ Chark, we spent a lot of time talking about him on a podcast earlier this season. Even Odell Beckham Jr., it makes sense, right? Like you you bring him in day one, he's a veteran. Um, he has a lot of big game experience in this league. The more and more that we <clears throat> move away from that period and knowing the kind of work Brandon Bean has to do to open up the kind of cap space that it's probably going to take to go after one of those two guys. I mean, they're both going to hover around $10 million. I don't know if that's necessarily the swing that you want to make. You know, somebody mentioned Robert Woods in the chat here. Somebody that has that versatility, can play inside, can play outside. Cole Beasley, Jamison Crowder. I think really the best way to go about this is to bring in one name, whoever you think that is, and whatever your spending limit is if you're Brandon Bean, and only he knows that. Maybe he can kind of inch it up towards seven or eight or million and you know, talk DJ Chark into maybe a two-year deal worth around 17 and a half, 16 and a half. And that might get you excited and at least gives you another option. I was listening to a podcast on Chark the other day uh, where he was brought up on a free agency show. And I thought it was a really interesting take. I can't remember who said it. I'm listening to so much this time of year. It's hard to keep it all together. <laughs> but it was a really good point. DJ Chark can fit into an offense and he's done it in Jacksonville and Detroit. He doesn't have to have a lion's share of the targets to be effective. You can bring him into the mix, throw him into the competition, have him find whatever role. And it could even fluctuate kind of like Gabe Davis. I mean, really, if you want to go back to the first two years of Gabe Davis, that's what made him so valuable is that he fit into whatever role the bills needed at any given time. So you find that player in free agency, spend up to seven ish, eight ish. If you're getting crazy million dollars on a receiver, and then you go into the draft and maybe take two, Ryan, and then you you figure it out later. And I think that number 27 pick, we were talking about it a little bit before the show, wide receiver is not only in play, but to me, it 
feels in a lot of ways, I love the tight end idea. And that's a conversation we'll have closer to the draft, but it feels like a priority if one of those three guys are there. But we were also talking about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Nobody raised their stock at the receiver position in Indianapolis more than he did. And I almost feel like Jordan Addison's performance, the the hype on these two guys almost like flipped during that yeah. week where Smith and Jigba now, he's being mocked. I've seen as high as nine and eight in some mock drafts. And you're seeing Addison go in the bottom third of the draft. I saw one where he went to the Giants at 25. There could be a really interesting scenario where the Bills could trade up two or three picks and land on Jordan Addison, who up to this point in the draft process, that's everybody's top guy at the position. Yeah, and Addison, you're right. He seemed like the pipe dream at one point, and Smith and Jigba looked like someone that maybe they could potentially get. The roles have been reversed completely. Uh, Zay Flowers, I still think he could be there in range for the Bills at 27, but he obviously helped his stock at the combine look really good, tested really well. He could, you know, he could go in the early 20s. That wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then all of a sudden, if that happens, well, the Bills are never going to reach for a wide receiver or any position. They're going to stay true to their board and maybe they go offensive line, maybe they go tight end, maybe they go just another position that we weren't even considering. Uh, but that's what makes this so tough because obviously if they don't go after any of these guys in free agency, uh, they're letting everyone know that they, they plan on addressing it in some way, shape, or form in the draft. And they're going to have to hope that someone either falls in their laps in the first round or that there's someone that they like enough on day two that they think can come in and contribute. If they don't address it in free agency and then you get to the draft and the first three rounds go by and the Bills don't take a receiver, Do you see that scenario playing out? Like what's the likelihood of that happening? Because to me, that would tell you that, you know, the bills believe in what they have on the roster. I mean, everything that we heard in Indy from Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott was ringing endorsement of Gabe Davis. And, you know, in a lot of ways that would be, it'd be hard to figure it out, whether it's an endorsement of McKenzie, maybe a a, a larger role for Shakir, uh, and then maybe taking a day a day three wide receiver, adding that to the competition. But do you see a scenario, I guess that's the question, where we get to May 1st and the Bills only add one receiver and it comes on day three of the draft? It, yeah, I, I think that maybe then Brandon Bean wasn't just saying the right things when he says they had a lot of faith in Gabe Davis and that the ankle injury hampered him, that they're expecting big things out of Khalil Shakir in, in the next year. Uh, did some training with Eric Molds recently. I thought when he was on the field, he he looked pretty good, especially late in the season. He was getting more opportunities as a blocker, then started to get some opportunities in the past game. I wouldn't hit the panic button just yet, but I, I feel like after these last few seasons where the Bills st- statistically have had one of the better defenses and they haven't been able to get to the big game, get over that hump, win the Super Bowl, I think now they, they need to shift gears and really attack the offense. So it, it would worry me to a certain extent, but at the same time, like you said, it, it would tell me that they do trust the guys they have in the locker room. Uh, maybe they expect some later cuts or uh, as the summer goes on, maybe there'll be some targets that become available that way, but it, it's a dangerous game to play. I, like I said, I expect the bills to add a tier two, tier three wide receiver and free agency. Someone that's not going to break the bank, but someone I think fits this offense, uh, but give them the, the opportunity to still add one early in the draft. It'll be fun to figure out uh, or to track what they end up doing. A lot of comments here in the chat, Ryan. Trade for um, DeAndre Hopkins. You know, there's a lot that goes into something like that. And depending on what ends up getting thrown in, I mean, if you're talking, if you want to convince me that 
uh, or sell me on the idea of maybe adding an Ed Oliver and some day two draft capital to go and get DeAndre Hopkins if it works out for your cap. I think that that's really intriguing. How do you think that that ends up being a fit? Because I, I almost look at Hopkins over the course of his career has always been, you know, he's always kind of led in targets, but guys have kind of fit in around him. He's never had like a super star with him, right? Going back to Houston, I can't think of one instance where he did. Was Brandon Cooks with him for a minute? That's what I was just trying to figure out if he was there at all. I don't think that they crossed paths. Uh, I think it came after the fact, so I'm not 100% sure on that. I'll have to to check that out. Yeah, but I, in double- I, and I don't know. I think it was Will Fuller was there more than anyone else. Oh, Will else Fuller, and, right. Yeah, Will Fuller. Um, but still, um, Fuller wasn't a superstar per se. He had some attributes that you liked. Right. I'm just thinking from a perspective of, okay, you go trade for DeAndre Hopkins. What happens to the target share in Buffalo? That 154 for Stefan Diggs falls off a cliff. I mean, you're talking to pro- probably those two guys splitting targets. And, you know, this is still a team with a head coach talking about developing the run game. And, 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 and developing the run game probably means more of it, which takes away targets as well. There's only so many offensive plays in a game. I don't think you want to be averaging 90 like they did in Miami that one week uh, when it was uh, that slog of a game. So I think like trading for DeAndre Hopkins, you have to have a, a first of all, plan for him. For it, I think Stefan Diggs has to sign off on, on it because of what that's going to mean. But I think if you're just talking about from a talent perspective, what, what options that gives Ken Dorsey, sure. Hopkins in here with this group is really intriguing. I just don't know if, you know, from an ego perspective, we're going to talk about Stefan Diggs here in a minute, if maybe that holds up. Because I don't think Diggs, Diggs wanted to get out of Minnesota because he wasn't getting enough balls thrown his way. He got 154 last year. They lost in the playoffs. And everybody's talking about the last couple of weeks about him trying to, you know, want to get out of Buffalo as ridiculous as I think that that is. And we'll get to that in a moment. I just don't know if it's a perfect fit to just go out there and trade for DeAndre Hopkins. No, I don't know if it's a perfect fit either. But, you know, I would, I almost wonder though, if you get to a certain age as a receiver, just any position in general, you say winning is more important than my overall stat line. And, you know, Diggs, his stat lines here in Buffalo have been phenomenal. He's been a great contributor. But he said, you know, things have to change year after year. It's the same ending for this team in the playoffs. Maybe that's how you get him to sign off on a player like Hopkins. And I'm not sure Hopkins is realistic or not. You'd have to restructure the deal. You'd have to get him on board. You'd have to make sure that you're not giving up too much in draft capital to make that happen. Uh, but in this scenario where it could take place, I would think that both veterans would, would probably sit there and say, you know, we've both had outstanding careers. We've both been viewed as uh, top three, top five receivers at times in our respective careers. Let's not worry about our individual stat lines this upcoming season. We, we you know, both of us want to walk away with the ring before it's all said and done. And if they can get on the same page in that regard, it's only going to help Josh Allen. It's going to help this offense. It's going to help Gabe Davis. And the list goes on and on. So, yeah, I, I think that it's always easy to say can't, you know, they'll put their egos aside uh, to win it because winning cures all. But at the same time, these are guys that throughout their career have been the top dog on their respective teams. So maybe it's not as easy as I, I'm picturing in my mind. We're going to be at Wingnuts this Saturday night. Ryan is making the drive in. We're going to have a live show. CBS Sports is Chris Trapasso. He's going to drive up. He's going to join us uh, for the big show. 
going to hang out before and after the show, uh, meet and greet with whoever wants to come out, talk some bills. It's going to be a really fun time. And I'm sure Stefan Diggs' name is going to come up hmm. because, man, it's amazing, Ryan. We, we, it's almost like new week, new drama. Right around Stefan Diggs. It was, you know, after the season, you know, he hadn't talked and he had stormed out of the locker room and then he gets to the Super Bowl talking about the identity of the offense and maybe some unrest there. And it seemed like, you know, Brandon Bean and company kind of threw water on the flames and everything's fine and dandy last week during the, the combine. And and now Stefan Diggs is tweeting, don't take things personal from people you don't know personally, which actually I think is great advice, by the way. It's just business. Don't take it personal, he says. That's what they say, at least. And then one day later, he said, or a couple hours later, he said, last day in Paris. So he's out on vacation, just having a good time. I shared a clip from a news conference from him back in November, a couple nights ago, where he said, I wasn't stirring anything up. You got to stay off my Twitter. And I think that, (laughs) I think that Stefan Diggs treats his Twitter account like, Whatever thought is in his head at the moment in his life that he's experiencing, sometimes he just types it down on Twitter and sends it out into the world and just to see see what happens. And I don't know if any of this has anything to do with his place in Buffalo, with his relationship with Josh Allen, with his you know standing in the organization. Who knows? We haven't talked to Stefan Diggs. We can't really ask him a piece of information that I think is really important when talking about Stefan Diggs and his place in Buffalo. He's yeah, much, he no, no. He's just he's pretty much untradeable, Ryan. There oh. really is no way out for Stefan Diggs at this point, unless the Bills want to eat an absolute crazy amount of dead cap. He's frustrated, but he's on vacation. He's living it up in Paris. I think it'll all be fine by the time he gets back and in more into the offseason. Yeah, you know the the dead cap hit thirty some million dollars, I believe, is what the Bills would be on the on the uh, docket for. So that's not happening. Uh, but I think you said it best. You know, you showed that press clip. Stay off my social media. You know, don't read into it. Uh, I, I really think that's the lesson to be learned here. Like you said, whatever random thought pops into his head, I'll type it in. I think sometimes, though, he probably enjoys uh, the reactions that he's getting, maybe the panic that he's getting from some of the Bills fans, the reactions. And, he, and he's just like, you know, what? I'm going to kind of uh, – start a little uh, tweet storm here and I'm going to put something out there and let people read into it however they want. I, I look at the outside uh, looking in and I, you know, just in the last few days I saw a Boston outlet put something about does Diggs want to be traded? Obviously tons of Dallas uh, media have written stories about does he want to play with his brother? It, it, it's good off season content, especially nationally. Uh, But if you're here in Western New York, if you're here in Buffalo, you know that one, his cap hit makes it impossible for him to be moved Two, I I think we're just, you know, anyone that is reading into those tweets, you're reading into them too much. Don't worry about it. Uh, I understand where the frustration is coming from on his end, but he's also had some of the best years of his career here in Buffalo. And there's no reason to think that that's not going to continue with Josh Allen in 2023. Shout out to Lauren. Uh, one of our OG listeners from way back when we're, we're speaking of meetups, we were able to meet up both of us together. I believe yeah. that was in New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yes. Yeah. In New Orleans, we were able to say hi to her and the fam got a picture. Uh, thank you for uh, the hair shout out. I appreciate it, which is funny. I need it. I actually need a haircut. It's kind of getting long. Maybe that's why it looks like that because it's really like puffy um, for lack of a better term. No, I just, I, I think, 
the best advice I can give Bills fans is it is sit on your hands season, right? Like, you know, we're in this big holding pattern where you, the season ends and you're just like, you're like that meme, right? Where you're, you know, the, the, the stick figure with the stick that's poking the, whatever it is, do like something. do something, yeah. right? Like everybody just wants to see what brick is going to get placed in as they build the house this off season. And it just hasn't happened yet because free agency hasn't started. And you know, th- this roster is going to look lo- a lot different in a little while. I think one of the most interesting conversations is like some of the depth free agents that the Bills have, like some really important pieces on special teams. You know, Tyler Medikevich, Jaquan Johnson, two really intriguing names. Like, are they back? Are, do the Bills go in a different direction and spend more money on offense and maybe a big ticket item on the offensive line, a la what Kansas City did in a big way a couple of years ago? I mean, Kansas City, if you look way, I know we always use them as the model, but it's hard not to. Yeah. The way they attacked their offensive line a couple of years ago, they threw money at it by signing Tooney, dra- or trading for uh, Orlando Brown, then drafting Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith. I mean, they literally, you know, through two solutions at the problem, which was their offensive line in free agency and then again in the draft. And so I think the Bills have to do that. Maybe at offensive line and wide receiver. And I think circling back to our original conversation, to me, I think it would be a level of failure. And it's hard to say that with Brandon Bean because there's been so much good with the way that he's built this thing up. And I think there is a little bit of overreaction based on how the season ended. And you kind of forget a little bit the larger picture of five playoff berths in six years and the way that this thing has been completely rebuilt. But I do think that they need some some fresh developmental pieces, draft pieces in that wide receiver room. And, you know, two day three picks over the last three drafts. And now it'll be, you know, this will be the fourth draft here. I just think that they need a little bit more. I mean, Brandon Bean has never spent a high draft pick on a wide receiver. And I think that that's just... If, you, if you're following recent trends, he didn't do that at cornerback, and then he went out there and he drafted Kyrie Elam. So I, I wonder if maybe there's feeling that pressure to maybe go out there and use the pick on a playmaker at wide receiver. Yeah, and rightfully so. And, you know, he'll always say, well, in 2020, we, we used our first on Stefan Diggs. And technically, yes, that is true. But adding a veteran via trade and drafting a player are completely different matters. So uh, I do think that it's something that needs to be done within the first two rounds. And, and again, it's going to all depend on how this draft board falls, because if you are, you know, if Addison goes off the board, that likely means that Flowers and Smith and Jigba are off the board. And then you're sitting there saying, is there someone else that they should really be trying to get at the end of round one? I can't sit here and say that I'd be banging the drum for anyone as a surefire pick. But in round two, there are still talented players or options abound for this team. So Using that Chiefs example, it, it, like you said, sometimes you do. You have to throw uh, money at it in free agency. You have to throw dr- early draft picks or significant draft picks at it and, and see how it all works out. And for the Chiefs, obviously, it worked out pretty well over the last few years, uh, culminating in the Super Bowl this past season. So the, the biggest areas of weakness for the Bills, that you know, the offensive line, it's the same discussion. Uh, I think I was reading that Eric Wood was the last uh, first round offensive lineman that this team has taken. And I, I have to go back and think about that, but I, I can't think of anyone else. Dawkins was a second round pick, obviously. Um, no one on this current team that they have, Ford, who was here at one point, was a second round pick. So they, they you know, they could have do the same thing there and throw some assets at the offensive line. 
if those wide receivers are off the board. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So a lot of players went off the board in your first mock draft of the season and you finally dropped it and it was a little bit of a process, right? Why don't you talk us through the process? Because it's been like you had it kind of cooking for a couple of weeks and then you finally decided, yeah, I'm going to fire this up after the combine. Yeah, well, that's the first thing. I, you know, when when the bills were pre-McDermott, pre-Bean, I feel like I was pushing these out in November uh, because that's about when the Bills season was over. And it, then it was no pressure. You didn't know how things were going to, players were going to move up and down. But at this point, you have to wait until at least after the, the combine, in my opinion. That's when you have a better feel for how players and prospects are viewed. You get an idea of, uh, who, which players teams have talked to. There's just a lot to it. And, and you know, it, it's funny. You and I were talking pre-show in, in a matter of, you know, a week or so when free agency hits, if the Bills do attack wide receiver, if they attack the offensive line, well, then I have to go back to the drawing board. That's the, the beauty of these mock drafts. But uh, I definitely waited for a reason. It was to kind of get a feel for what do I think is going to happen in free agency with their own players. Uh, what you know, the, the Bills haven't done much so far in terms of restructuring contracts. Now, mind you, they can they could get a bunch of them done in a matter of hours, starting with Josh Allen's, and then we can get a good idea of how much cap space they're going to have, how they're going to try to utilize that. So that's another challenge that this presents because you know you had a, a great article a week or two ago talking about how they could free up forty, fifty million dollars. Well, the Bills really haven't done anything to this point to free up uh, much money. So that, that's the other part of it. But yeah, I sat down, I looked at this, the team's needs. I used a mock draft simulator. So that way, uh, the, the players that were available to choose from, I it felt more realistic than me just sitting there saying, well, maybe this player will be there right. around two or round three. So that's, the, and that's another reason too, because those mock draft simulators adjusted after the combine as well. Larry over on Facebook makes a great point here. And I think it's something we could touch on real quick before we get to your selections, which by the way, not to give away the farm here, but Ryan did go wide receiver with his pick yeah. at number 27. We'll talk about that in a moment. What if Larry asks, there is no wide receiver worth taking in round one or even round two? Mm. You know, maybe you don't get that round one value uh, at the position and you you hope to maybe nab somebody in, in on day two um, and, and you get to your round two pick and maybe the people that you had a grade on are off the board. I know everybody wants a wide receiver, uh, but is it worth taking a bus when they could grab a productive player elsewhere? And I, I, totally see your point and i totally agree you do not reach on a player 
just because you have a need at a position. And Brandon Bean has proven over over the course of his you know tenure, he won't do that. But I think you also have to keep in mind, Ryan, that if you if you're marrying position of need with value of a player that you like, if you're Brandon Bean, you you have to be aggressive. And this could be a year, Ryan. It's setting up where he can get even a little bit more aggressive with not only this year's draft capital, but maybe even next year's draft capital. If Edmonds and Poyer do sign elsewhere, we're going to talk about that in a moment, and the Bills don't go crazy in free agency, you're probably looking at a comp pick. You know, they're talking about Tremaine Edmonds signing for like $20 million per season. Mm. I don't know if there's a move or moves that Brandon Bean can make, and he thinks about some of these other players. Maybe Roger Saffold signed somebody somewhere for like $6 million. Um, there's a There was another uh, higher profile, well, Devin Singletary. So he gets a, yep. a decent deal. Then you're starting to really add up these dollars, and if you're not bringing that much back in free agency, you get a comp pick. Maybe you want a Zay Flowers, and you're worried a small run starts at about 20, and you want to get up three or four picks. Well, I feel better about maybe giving up a fourth or a third rounder to get up to that spot to get the guy that you want because you might be having some picks coming back your way next uh, year in the comp system. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. This is one of the first years where the Bills are really in a good spot in terms of those compensatory picks uh, with, with Edmonds, with Poyer, you know, potentially with Saffold or, or Singletary as well. So if, if Brandon Bean's going into free agency saying, you know, yeah, we're, we're going to sign a few true free agents, but maybe we're going to also attack some of these players that have been that are going to be released next week and on the first league day. Those players, for instance, don't count against the compensatory pick formula. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's the way the Bills fill some of the, these holes. Uh, maybe it, it's uh, John Johnson, the third at safety, and that's a, a stopgap there. Bobby Wagner at linebacker players that can come in and provide an impact and don't count against that formula. So you're still fill, filling in the, these gaps on your roster, uh, but you're also you're also looking ahead to the following season where, hey, I can get some pretty good draft picks in return for these players we're, we're losing, and that's going to help us in future years. So, yeah, I can then trade a fourth-round pick in 2024 in this year's draft uh, because I'm confident in what's coming back to me. Uh, to get my guy, like a Zay Flowers, who was my my first round. Pick there you go, great transition, draft. buddy. So, yeah, so you're right. This is what it how it's all so interesting because those first few years uh, of the Bean McDermott regime, we, we were all saying, oh, maybe compensatory picks. Well, no, Brandon Bean went wild in free agency and was signing uh, tons of players, depth players, starters, this, that, or the other. This roster is in good spot now where. I don't think he has to necessarily go crazy in free agency, despite the number of free agents that this team has. Yeah, so you do go with Zay Flowers. He's available there. We'll see how the receiver kind of market uh, figures out. Quentin Johnston, he's that that fourth wild card receiver. There's some yeah. folks, the TCU, uh, the bigger catch point, you know, speedster. Some some mock drafters have him going like top 10, right? And then some have him going back half of the first round, maybe, you know, just a very like a variance of opinion on this specific player. Flowers is an interesting one because I think his stock is absolutely going through the roof. He reminds me in a lot of ways of like Chris Olave. I know we could use that of Smith and Jigba, but I feel like Smith and Jigba after the combine, his, like there were some people like wondering if he'd go in the first round at, you know, back in February, early parts of February. Mm -hmm. Now it's like top 10. I mean, he is skyrocketed. It feels a little bit different than Olave. Olave was kind of always in the mix 
with that group of, of wide receivers. But then after like really testing well and, you know, the more that, you know, people settled on, you know, the tape and the interviews and the pro day, you know, he was really became one of those top players. And I think he was the second guy off the board after Drake London. Right. If I'm, if I'm correct, Third. I think Zay Garrett Flowers, Wilson. Garrett oh yeah. Wilson, Garrett Wilson yeah. too. Oh, I forgot about Garrett. I think Zay Flowers is in that spot to be maybe the second or third guy. And if that ends up happening, just because of the way that that position is looked at by NFL teams now, it might be tough to make it all the way to 27 with him. But in, in your scenario, it did. It, he lasted. Yeah, he was there, and it was kind of an easy pick for that very reason. Uh, he's someone that I think can play inside or outside despite his size. Uh, obviously, slot is where I think that the Bills would start him out. I think he could be a monster for the Bills in that role. Uh, we, we saw how productive Josh Allen was when he had a reliable slot option and Cole Beasley, those you know, 2020, 2019, 2021 seasons. I think that Zay Flowers can be that guy for Josh Allen. In terms of his stature, he's built very similar to a Steve Smith Sr., for instance, uh, but a little bit faster. And Steve Smith Sr. was just seeing his praises at the Combine, loved him as a prospect. And, you know, this this is wild because of how good this player was before everything that happened. His route running reminds me of Antonio Brown a little bit, Matt. Ooh. And Antonio Brown early in his career was just the best of the best in terms of route running. Uh, it, it was just, you know, he was putting on uh, classes for these other wide receivers to learn from. And I, I think that Zay Flowers can be that kind of receiver eventually play outside more as well. And, for the Bills, that's just that impact playmaker that I that I said, hey, if he's actually there, which he was in this scenario, no brainer for me. Yeah, Larry over on uh, Facebook asking about uh, who the Bills took in the third round last year. That was uh, Terrell Bernard. Terrell Bernard. Uh, Sean McDermott said this past week, and I think Brandon B might have said it too, that they do think that he can play multiple spots. Middle linebacker, outside linebacker. I don't know if you necessarily want to go into the season with him you know, written in pen in that spot. I, I think you probably want him in pencil and you probably want him at the number two spot in the depth chart, depending on what you do in the draft and free agency. If, if Tremaine Edmonds does, we can kind of talk about that. He took, um, you, actually, before we move on to that, I want to talk about Edmonds and Poyer briefly. Uh, you have Steve Avila, uh, interior offensive lineman guard uh, from TCU. You have the Bills getting him in the second round at 59. And then uh, Jamie Robinson, the safety out of Florida State in the third What's the value on Robinson at that spot? Um, and this is a, a safety class that's really interesting. You know, there's a couple guys at the top of the draft, and then it, it seems to really fall off a cliff. Uh, talk a little bit about those two guys and why you made those picks there. Yeah, Robinson, explosive athlete, really good in terms of run stoppage. Uh, can be, he, He's very versatile as well in, in terms of how he was used in college. You know the the one knock on him coming to the NFL is some people say the size. I don't know if he can be uh, uh, true safety. I don't know if he's more of like a nickel type of player. I I think that he's almost kind of not the same player as a Buddha Baker. But do you remember when Buddha Baker came out? People were concerned about the size, and the dude's just a playmaker. He makes plays. Right. Uh, I think Jamie Robinson's the same kind of player. He makes plays. He has the tra- a lot of the traits and the intangibles that the Bills look for at the safety position. Uh, I think he's someone that could come in immediately and st- and compete for the starting role opposite Micah Hyde. Maybe you bring in a stopgap to compete with him, but I like him a lot. Let me just butt in here and ask a question. So you're proposing that the Bills take, for the second straight year, an undersized player in the third <laughs> round. I do, but at the safety position, at the safety okay. position, at linebacker, it's 
it's a whole different uh, beast for sure. No, but I know. Yeah, I just think you're going to get some. Oh, I think you're going to get some action. Heat, I'm, in the sure. Comments, so. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm uh, sure. Steve Avila, uh, Avila in the second round TCU. I like him a lot. Again, versatility is the key word with these two guys. Uh, guard played really well at guard over 500 pass blocking reps this past season. No sacks allowed. Uh, played center in his career at TCU as well. I think he could be the heir apparent at center for Mitch Morris. It you know, whenever Mitch Morris calls it a career, leaves Buffalo. Uh, Avila could slide over to that spot. Obviously, Ryan Bates on this roster could slide over to that spot as well. But uh, Avila gives you those all three interior line spots. He can play them and play them at a high level. If you love Avila, to me, the process that I'm going through if I'm Brandon Bean in the draft is simple. It is, okay, I have these playmakers listed on my board that if they're there at 27 or close to 27, I'm going to get aggressive. I'm going to get them. You know, those three receivers we talked about, right? Addison, Flowers, Smith, and Jigba, they're on there. I think you probably throw a couple of those tight ends in there, you know, Washington mayor, maybe even a Kincaid. Uh, if you want to go that route and that's something that, you know, just from a philosophical perspective, we could talk about uh, in, in a later draft episode and then maybe an offensive lineman, maybe even like a tackle. Like there's a couple tackles that really pop last week. And I know right now you sit there and you say, all right, Deion Dawkins, Spencer Brown. I don't think you're set there. I don't think you're set there, especially when you're looking two, three years down the road based on what we saw last season. So you you have a pocket of players. Maybe there's even a couple defensive players that you, you put in there. Maybe there's a safety you throw in, a linebacker. But I think the best, you, you're looking at this this top 60, right? And you look at all the big you know, players boards like Drew, uh, Dane Brugler, Daniel Jeremiah, uh, Daniel Kelly over at the ringer. You know, I really think they do a good job of ranking these players and giving you an idea of where these guys are going to go in the draft. You look through those top 60s, and I feel like there's a pocket at like 35 to 55, where if the Bills want to just slide back a little bit, if one of those, you know, pipe dream guys is in there and they're not going to give up capital to get up, move back, add another second round pick maybe, or another third round pick, and then you have a better shot of getting like an Avila, maybe a Jack Campbell. And I think sometimes in the past, the Bills have been aggressive or had a lack of aggression, and it's cost them those players in the earlier portion in the second round, where I think if you see, I don't have any specific examples off the top of my head, but that is a really talent-packed part. Like, I think of, like, a T. Higgins, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just think about the year. Who who did they draft that year? Was that Greg Rousseau? Or was that the year before? I think it was Rousseau, the T. Higgins year, no? Yeah, I'm trying to think of when Higgins – I want to say Higgins was a year was a year off from that, but I, might, I may be wrong on that. We have the internet, and we can That's look right. it up. And that is the benefit of 2020. So he went in the same draft as Greg Rousseau. So you ended up getting a pass rusher at 30. Maybe you're somebody that's not like huge on Greg Rousseau, right? And they took Boogie Basham as well, right? Mm. Maybe you trade back in that spot. Maybe there wasn't a, a bunch of people high on Rousseau. Maybe you move back like seven or eight slots, right? And, you know, T. Higgins, this is not a perfect example because he went at 33. Yeah, like first or second pick of this. Yeah. But maybe you move back to that spot. You take Higgins there. You take Rousseau a couple picks later. Maybe you put together some type of package. This is all hypothetical situation. But my point being, if you can add a pick in that top 60 that gives you a little bit more mobility and a chance to add like starters. Mm-hmm. And like also, if you're picking somebody at 27, I don't think you're picking somebody 
that you don't have a specific path to playing time for. Like Elam's the easiest example to use, and we've harped on this, but I don't think you just take a roll of the dice at 27 this year. I think you make that pick if you are sold. The guy that you're taking is going to be an impact starter for you in 2023. And I know that's hard to predict, but we've seen it over and over again. Good teams find a way to do that. Yeah. And listen, you make a, a great point because where the Bills sit at, you know, the 27th pick in the draft because Miami had to forfeit their pick, there's usually, I don't know, 18, 20 players that maybe the Bills will have a first round grade on, for instance, going into this draft. And at 27, there's a scenario where all of those players are gone Um, or they're just players that the Bills would never actually touch, like a quarterback, for instance. I don't know how much due diligence they put into that in terms of like giving those players on their board for first round grades, but you get the gist. So if the Bills are sitting there at 27 and every one of the, the players with the first round grade is gone, trading down is absolutely the right move to make. And I know a lot of Bills fans I've seen it on, on social media saying, well, the, he, does, he doesn't move down usually. He moves up. He, he goes after these guys. But this is a scenario where you would move down. If there's no one with that first-round value and you can get a starting offensive lineman and you can get a, a starting wide receiver, a Jalen Reed, Tennessee receiver, a Jalen Hyatt. Jaylen Hyatt uh, yep. yep. So someone like that, rather than reaching for either of those players at the end of round one, maybe be able to get both in round two, for instance, that makes more sense in this scenario. So, yeah, trading down is 100% in play. Uh, I think a lot of the offensive linemen the Bills might have liked, I think that they improved their stock. Some of them, Darnell Wright, for instance, I think is is through the roof right now. Um, they, you know, at 27, they might be looking at a, a Syracuse Matthew Bergeron if that's the route mm-hmm. they wanted to go at tackle. I think John Michael Schmitz at center could still be there. There's still going to be some good guards. Uh, but there's an argument to be made about, do you take a guard in round one? I understand that argument. Osiris uh, Torrance is a, a popular mock draft pick. I don't know how well he fits with this coaching staff, with this scheme, uh, with his skill set. But, you know, that's the beauty of this draft. The Bills might sit there and say, oh, yeah, this guy had a first round grade. But I also could see them dropping back a little bit. And like you said, man, this scenario, going and getting two guys that can be impact starters on day one, and getting them both in the second round. If you're Brandon Bean, the point of all of this is just, you know, get creative with it and figure out a way. All right. They use analytics. You know, they they study their past performance. What have we done in the draft? If you're Brandon Bean and the Bills talking in a room, what have we done from a trade up, trade down perspective that worked? What hasn't? And where do we feel like if we can pick any area of the draft, like is it maybe in the second round where we can get maybe get two players somehow and that gives us a really good chance of getting starters. Like I'm, I'm thinking right now, starters, you know, Jack Campbell is a guy that I think we're going to talk a lot about over the next month and a half, uh, middle linebacker, uh, Iowa. Am I, yeah. am I correct in that? Yes. Three down player, you know, plug and play day one starter, one of the top linebacker prospects in this draft. You know, you read through his draft profile and we will uh, on this show as we get kind of further into the draft after free agency. And it just seems I mean, I, I was reading it last week, you know, during the combine, and it just it felt like a Sean McDermott type of guy. Um, if you move on from Tremaine Edmonds, which we're going to talk about here right now, you're going to have to fill that 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 missing piece, and you could do that for through free agency. But you know, I think the Bills might want to develop that spot from the ground up once again. And they brought a defensive assistant. We don't know what that's going to look like if he's going to stay in that role. 
maybe move into a different one, depending on what they do with the defensive coordinator spot. Although our, our good buddy over at Channel 4, Josh Reed, reported earlier this week that uh, Sean McDermott was leaning heavily towards calling the play. So it's probably going to look like it does right now. Ken Dorsey, OC, Sean McDermott, head coach and defensive uh, coordinator play call. He probably uh, gets somebody on the defensive staff staff to take some of those duties when he needs to kind of fill the head coach role. But it's going to be interesting. And if you go down the list, I mean, there's a couple teams in the second round that have multiple second round picks and you just got to get creative with it. And even if you want to move back, you know, a couple pick to 30, the Eagles have a pick uh, right there. And then you can maybe add the Eagles pick in round two. And, and maybe you're not having it in that pocket uh, from 35 to 50, but now you have, you know, what's essentially around the same pick. You move back a couple spots and you potentially add that 62 pick. And now maybe you can add a couple more starters. It just depends on where you think the real value of this draft is. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you can stay at the back of round one, just move down two, three spots. Obviously, you keep that fifth year option in play, which is big for teams, too. Uh, so it's interesting. Real quick before we get to that conversation on uh, Edmonds and Poyer, Victor Cruz here in, in the chat said, you guys never want to spend money. You got to pay to play or we will always come up short. Uh, you know, Matt and I, when we put in our GM caps, it's not that we don't want to spend money. It's the bills don't have the money to spend right now, Victor. They just shelled out $120 million on Von Miller last year. They've signed guys like Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, Deion Dawkins, Matt Milano, uh, Trey White. The list goes on to these huge extensions. So, yeah, they can restructure. They can move things around. So, you know, when you're sitting there saying, well, the Bills should go out and be aggressive and sign this player in free agency and this, this takes us right to the Tremaine Edmonds conversation. Uh, the big reason why he's probably leaving free agency is the Bills aren't likely going to be able to afford what other teams are going to be offering him in free agency, which could be upwards of $20 million per year. Victor, who are you talking to, man? You guys? Who said Who said we don't want them to spend money? You got to spend money. You got to spend money to have a good team. You got to spend money on the quarterback. You got to get a quarterback, a playmaker. The Bills have done that. They spent money on their left tackle, their CB1, their... Number one, Brandon Bean has spent the money in all the spots you have to spend money. And I think we were pretty positive on all of those fronts. But you have to spend smart money. I, here's my thing on Edmonds. I maintain that I think the Bills should flip over every rock, try to find as many nickels and dimes in the, in the cushions of the couch to try to keep Tremaine Edmonds in the mix. He's an important player. What he does for that defense, I think it's more than just what the stats, the story isn't just in the stats. It's, you know, in the leadership, it's in the, what he does from other players around him because of what he is out there. He's a freak. I mean, he's an absolute athletic um, unicorn. Here's the thing with Edmonds that I, that I keep coming back to. I go back and I think about two teams in the Super Bowl that were the best in the league, really on both sides of the ball. I mean, I thought Kansas City defensively in the playoffs was great. And I thought Philadelphia defensively was great. But those two good to great defenses in the Super Bowl, guess what? They were null and void. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts made play after play after play. It's an offensive league. And if you're telling me that you can't spend to put weapons and protection around Josh Allen because you want to keep your middle linebacker who was on the field against the Bengals and it didn't matter. It doesn't move the needle enough. You have to be able to score points. You have to figure out the offense. And if you want to have a side conversation about 
you know, Ken Dorsey, those we've had those plenty over the last couple of months. That's not going away. He's coming back. So I think you have to give Ken Dorsey, Josh Allen, as much artillery as you can as they go into 2023. And that just might cost you Tremaine Edmonds and, and probably most certainly Jordan Poyer. Yeah, he, you know, again, social media is social media, but I saw this conversation floating around today and it was, is Edmonds a bust because he didn't get a second contract from the Bills? And I was thinking, no, he's not a bust. He was, no. he was he's someone that was, contract. He, he's going to be getting, yeah, a massive contract elsewhere. And the only reason he wasn't resigned is because the Bills don't have the money. Uh, you know, say what you want about the Pro Bowl game or the events themselves, but the players voted him in multiple years. Uh, they respect his game. They respect what he does as a player. They they know how talented is, he is. Uh, we've heard opposing head coaches sing his praises. This is just a matter of the Bills not having the money for a player like this. And it goes back again to your point. The Eagles were one of the top defenses in the league all season, not just playoffs, all season long. And obviously that helped play a role in them getting the one seed in the NFC, getting to the Super Bowl. But that number one defense or number two defense overall in the league, whatever it ended up being, did not mean anything in the Super Bowl when they were carved up by Patrick Mahomes. It was whoever had the ball last was going to win that game, essentially. And with that holding penalty, it allowed the Chiefs to hold the ball to the very end and pretty much win that game. It was a shootout. The defenses didn't matter. So as good as Edmonds was this past season, he's had some inconsistent moments. He hasn't necessarily made the impact plays on a regular basis. We've talked about that. Great player. But I think the Bills spending $20 million or upwards of close to $20 million could be used on the offensive side of the ball, and that could end up paying bigger dividends for this team in the long run, whether you're talking 2023, 2024, uh, than just bring back your linebacker. Again, linebacker is a position where they've already invested big money in Matt Milano. You can't do that with, with both of your linebackers in today's NFL. This, this kind of marries itself to the Poyer part of this. One of the questions that I see quite a bit is, okay, Edmonds priced himself out, no doubt about it. Does that open up maybe some extra dollars to go to maybe meet uh, a threshold for Jordan Poyer? And listen, I want to say first and foremost, Jordan Poyer has been one of my favorite bills to cover in my tenure. Uh, we do that thing where we vote on, um, we just gave out the first Ken Hall stand-up uh, guy award, right? For yeah. somebody that always does you know, work with the media, works with the media, does all their interviews. Deion Dawkins won it. We had to vote for three players. Deion Dawkins was in my mix. I voted for Jordan Poyer, number one. I think he always kind of showed up. He always answered the questions. He was great to deal with. Um, I think I mentioned on the show, I went over, um, met up with him at his house last off season when I was in Fort, Fort, Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale. Just like a really good dude. Like I have nothing bad to say about him. But from a football perspective and an organizational build, it's a business, right? He wants to get paid. He wants to, he wants to get probably like minimum 25 guaranteed dollars on his final big, you know, contract. And I can't blame him. The problem is if you're the bills, I don't know that that fits into a 32 year old safety into what you're planning on both sides of the ball. So I think even if there are a couple extra dollars to throw around, I don't think you're throwing that on Jordan Poyer because first of all, he couldn't really stay healthy last year, even though he tried, he tried and he tried and he tried, you know, to a fault, probably in these, in these off season negotiations, he's 32. You're going to have to develop his replacement. So why not start that process now? Get ahead of it. Um, you hate to lose the guy. You hate to lose the football player, but just from a, 
football standpoint, roster building standpoint, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense anymore. And, and it seems like he wants a fresh start. I mean, some of the comments that he made on his podcast about like the sales tax in, in, uh, in New York. Yeah. He could probably take, if he gets even a slightly bit more money per year uh, on his next contract outside of Buffalo, like in another market where the taxes aren't as bad. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind that either, to be honest with you. Yeah, no, listen, if you want to be a great team in today's NFL, you need to know when it's time to cut ties with a player. You can't hold on to a player for what they've done in the past. It's what they're going to do this upcoming season and in the future. And you just said it, Jordan Poyer, great player, great career in Buffalo from the time he joined this team. Really good 2022 season, despite playing through various injuries but he's going to be 32 when next season begins. He is starting to deal with, with nagging injuries left and right here. So do you really want to invest a lot of over $20 million guaranteed over however many seasons that is to someone where you're not sure he's going to be able to play a full season. You as good as you know, he's been, he's going to start, you know, declining as a player more likely than not because of these injuries, because of the toll it takes on you. And while you still have a Micah Hyde, and I know Micah Hyde coming off of a neck injury, I think it's easier to develop a, a safety next to a, a player like Micah Hyde uh, when you're very confident in what he brings to the table as a player. So this might be that time to move on from Poyer, bring in a young guy, bring in a veteran, though. That can be a stopgap, one-year competition, legitimate competition at that spot, and then maybe move that safety, that, that young player into that safety role in, for sure into a starting role in 2024. I want everybody to move uh, their schedule around Saturday so they can move their selves to wing nuts, uh, 700 military road, um, North Buffalo. We are going to be partying, partying at froth brewery twofold. First of all, you can hang out. You can tell us how all of our takes were either wrong or right on this episode of shout. We'll be doing another live episode of shout free agency preview. Who are the players we think the Bills should go after? We'll talk about the free agents that the Bills have hitting the market and what the future holds for a lot of them. Uh, we'll bring on Chris Trapasso from CBS Sports, get a chance to meet him, share a drink with him, talk about the draft. I mean, you will have access if you get there early enough. We'll be there at about 5 o'clock, start setting up. By about 5.30 to about 6.45, it's mingling time. We'll just talk about the Bills, do the show at 7.00. And then Ryan and I will hang out at uh, after the show around eight o'clock uh, for a bit. Talk to you more. If, if anybody wants to hang around, maybe get there a little bit late. Uh, Chris has to go right after the show, but he'll be there before the show. So come out, have a couple beers, try the wing flight, Ryan. Tell them about the wing mm, flight. Yeah, wing flight. Every flavor of wing on, on a platter for you to try. Get a get a froth flight. Get a wing flight, uh, and have a really good Saturday night. Have a really good Wednesday night. We will see you. On Saturday night at Froth Wing Nuts. See you then, everybody. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.